Yay. Okay, so I know last week it was like a dump truck load of information. Um, sorry about that. I got probably a little carried away. Um, well, I like that kind of stuff. So um, I, I sketched up this uh, for Michelle, and she found it very helpful. Um, it's on the website. It's on Faith Live. But I just thought I would show it to you to think about the realm of the dead, Hades, is the realm of the dead, okay? Uh, Sheol in the Old Testament, uh, in the New Testament called Hades. Uh, it has different uh, regions or levels, if you would, in the realm of the dead. This is part of the reason there was confusion, I think, a little bit last week. So in the realm of the dead, there's basically three regions that the scripture talks about. The first region would be Abraham's bosom, where the Old Testament saints went, that Jesus led captive, captives free up into heaven after he died. So that would be uh, there at the higher level. Then the next level is the, the, the area that uh, death, the demon or demigod, whatever you want to call him, uh, God reigns in the Old Testament, Salantos in the New Testament. He's in charge of human souls, okay? That's where human souls dwell. And then we didn't talk a lot about this last week, but I alluded to it several times. There's the abyss or Abaddon or Tartarus. That's like the lower recesses of the place of the dead. That's where the bad of the bad, the do demons that transgress really bad back in the garden. Well, back basically in Genesis 6, all locked away. They get set free in Revelation, okay? as part of the judgment on the earth, okay? So uh, what makes this confusing is that our translators like to use one word to talk about the place of the dead, and they it's the three-letter word, hell, uh, but that is not, it's flattening the whole landscape of what Scripture teaches. There's really only two, Gehenna would be the Greek word for hell and the lake of fire. So you just need to, Try to pay attention, pay attention to the little numbers uh, by the word when it's used to see what it's talking about. So when Jesus, and it's not part of this at all, right? Hell is empty, okay? Souls nap, it's the last judgment, it's the second death, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and that's going to help you as we go through Revelation because you got these different characters that will come up in Revelation, uh, demonic characters that they're getting set free and where they're getting set free from and and having this topography is going to help you understand oh that's what's going on does that make sense that's part of the reason i went through it last week but i also realized i i gave you a lot of information at once so and i probably should have started with a picture like this that might have helped my bad um Joella says there's no sound. Hi, Michelle. Okay, so Instead of dump trucking on you each week, uh, I still have a lot of information to go over. Um, but 
I want to try a little different approach. So we're going to go a little slower. And if I don't get through all my content, yeah, well, <laughs> an extra year at this rate. But that's okay. So today we're looking at what the Bible says, or does the Bible say, about the tree of life and the paradise of God. Uh, paradise is a borrowed word from Persian for garden, just so you know. Um, so uh, just file that away in your brain. If you hadn't heard that before, then hopefully um, it's not too foreign. Okay. Okay, so turn with me to Revelation 2. And we're going to be in verse 7 to start with. And I know a palm tree maybe is not the uh, tree of life, but you'll see as we go through this text why I picked a palm tree. So, uh, not this one, but the other text. Uh, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And we've discussed that at length. We know what that means, right? Everybody understands that. To the one who conquers... And I've been discussing that at the end of every sermon, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that uh, tonight. I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So where do these terms come from? What is he alluding for? Why is it called the paradise of God? These are questions uh, that we will answer tonight, okay? Now you're like, I already know, and maybe you do. But hopefully by the end of tonight's session, uh, you will have a much uh, robust understanding of it. Do you have a question? Or are you just scratching your head? Well, that was just scratching our heads. Okay. Okay, so uh, this is the Septuagint. Now, I'm just going to reiterate. I think I said it really quickly. John is using... When he's writing the book of Revelation, he's using the Septuagint. He's using the Greek translations of the Old Testament. This is the Old Testament he is quoting from. This is why I keep quoting the Septuagint. It's not that I think the Masoretic text is, which is what your Bible is translated from. It's not that I think that it's inadequate or, uh, or inferior, okay, I keep doing it because this is the translation that John was using. He wasn't using the Hebrew text. So if I'm trying to look for Old Testament allusions that John is making, I've got to look at the Septuagint. Okay? Now, do you have questions about the Septuagint? Because that's, I think as Protestants, we are uncomfortable with that book. So... Availability. And the Masoretic text is, I mean, it's really 3rd century A.D. is where we really start pulling that text from. Okay? And the, uh, the Septuagint was made and made available for the, for the Gentiles, for the masses. Uh, the Masoretic text was kind of like an isolationist. If you want... Uh, uh, Israel, a Jew, and following Torah, they're not going to give you a copy. And I think we sometimes forget that books are not nearly as prolific 
as books are today. How many Bibles do you have in your house? I mean, I can't even count, right? I mean, a lot. They were lucky if they had a portion, like a normal portion, right? John is lucky. One, he's on the island of Patmos in a penal colony. So he probably doesn't even have a Bible, period, okay? He's recalling, right, from memory. And most of the New Testament, Matthew may be the only exception, most of the New Testament writers quote the Septuagint. They, they do not quote the Masoretic text. So, like I said, there's nothing wrong with the Masoretic text. But when you're looking for allusions, you ever read something in the Old Testament? I, I mean, in the New Testament, and then you look back at the quote in the Old Testament, and you're like, it doesn't quite match. Ever done that? Yeah, that's because most of the time <laughs> it's the Septuagint. It's a translation of the, old, of the Hebrew to the Greek, and then they're reading it in Greek and quoting the Greek translation. Now, is that bad? No. We, grow, we quote our English translation all the time. And how many different English translations do we have? Uh, I'm at a loss to count most of the time. All right? So this doesn't mean that it's inferior, inaccurate, okay? But if we're looking for parallels, we just need to pay attention to that. So every week, you're going to get me pulling stuff out of the Septuagint to draw into uh, uh, the book of Revelation, okay? Everybody understand that? Okay. So this is the Septuagint for Genesis 2.8. The Lord planted a paradise, okay? So now we're going, what's the connection here? The tree of life in the paradise of God? Now it's like, oh, well, look at that, okay? The Septuagint refers to Eden as a paradise 14 times. Just in, the, it just in, in Genesis, right? It uses paradise other places, and we're going to trace some of that. Um, uh, so not perhaps, I think pretty much explicitly, this is where John gets the pairing of these two concepts. Okay, so paradise of God is paired with the Garden of Eden. So, and for the reader, that is like, oh, obvious. For us, because we're not used to that word in our Masoretic text, in our translations, does that make sense? We don't quite immediately make the concept. Does that make sense? And then the other times it is used in the t uh, New Testament, it's ambivalent. Once with Jesus on the cross, today you be with me in paradise and there'll be some debate is what that means right and then uh, and then another time uh, where Paul is talking about being caught up into paradise the third heaven where that that's the old and then this uh, that uh, Rev revelation 2 7 is the only three times that paradise is used in the New Testament so you don't have a lot of data points to say what is this, right? It has to do with God's dwelling place. That could kind of how we ha could get from it. Does that make sense? Um, I would say that this context in Revelation 2-7 is talking about new heaven, new earth dwelling place, not just heaven. Does that make sense? So uh, Genesis 2-8-9 says, And the Lord God planted a garden. Now, see, garden in the Hebrew. 
a borrowed paradise there. So garden, plug in your mind, garden, paradise, equal, same thing, okay? Does that make sense? Okay, in Eden, in the east, and there you put man uh, whom he had for put the man whom he had formed, and out of the ground the Lord made to spring every tree that is pleasant to sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden. Okay, so that's the tree of life is in the midst of the garden. The garden is God's paradise. The garden is essentially, as we get into this small, we're going to see it's God's sanctuary, cosmic throne on, on earth. If you're reading, when it talks about the mountain of God in Scripture, it's also talking about the Garden of Eden. That's all imagery for the paradise of God, the Garden of Eden. Okay? Everybody tracking? Okay. So, the tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge and good and evil. Thank God, it, why did you put that one in there? But it's there, right? And they're two, they're there together, right? Um, this is our first mention of the tree of life, right? A tree that gives life, okay? Now we go to another uh, reference here, and it's not that far away, uh, Genesis 3.22. Then the Lord said, Behold, the man has become, this is after what? Anybody know? After what happened? What did they do? <laughs> they ate the fruit of the tree of life? No, what fruit did they eat? That's right. They ate the, now they had already, they'd been eating freely of the tree of life, right? But then they ate of the forbidden fruit, right? The cursed tree, if you would, or the tree of death, but in a sense, knowledge of good and evil, right? And so he says, behold, man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and, what's it say, live forever. So the tree of life, right at the beginning here, has imagery of eternal life, immortality, right? The chalice is in, you know, I'm trying to make a reference there. But it has that imagery of life everlasting. This this idea of it giving life is going to carry all through the Old Testament, and it's going to be brought in to the new heavens and the new earth, even in the Old Testament, this new heaven, the renewal of the tree of life, okay? Uh, and it's going to be this idea of receiving life everlasting, uh, well, beginning in Revelation 2.7. By the way, uh, four times in Revelation, I believe, uh, no other times in the New Testament. Tree of Life talked about. Okay, just to kind of give some context idea there. But live forever. So this idea of immortality. Okay? Uh, so God drove out the man at the east of the Garden of Eden. He placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way of the Tree of Life. They did not want them to eat and live forever in their broken state. Okay, right? And they'll fall in state. And so he puts a cherubim, not a two. Cherubim is plural, okay? He puts cherubim there. Cherub would be singular. Now, it's not the cherub that we see <laughs> in all angel drawings of cherubs. These little naked babies with little wings floating around. I'm so glad it's not with a little bird. And zing the little love dart at you. No. 
It's a throne guardian. It's scary. It's massive. It's a composite creature. It's a chimera. Okay? It looks kind of like what I have up there, which is uh, a Syrian throne guardian. Okay? It's a, it's, a, it's a spiritual being. Okay? Everybody track with that? Any questions about that? tree of life is presented as the source of immortality. It's God's life-giving presence. Okay? It's, it's nothing without God, right? It's representing God's life-giving presence. Okay? Okay. So now the next symbolism we have for the tree of life is actually in the tabernacle. Okay? Now the tabernacle is a building or a shadow of what is in heaven. Okay? So it's shadowing what is in heaven. And the menorah of the tabernacle has many aspects of a tree. Listen to the description. He also made the lampstand of pure gold. He made the lampstand of camel wool. Its base, its stem, its cups, its calyxes, and its flowers were of one piece with it. And there were six branches going out of the sides, three branches of the lampstand to one side, and there's a center branch, okay? So three on one side, just like uh, Anna's picture. That's Anna's, right? I got it right. Yeah, just like Anna's picture. Okay, and three branches of the lamp sent out of the other side of it. Three cups were made like almond blossoms, each with clanlix and flower on one branch, and three cups were made like almond blossoms with clanlix <coughs> and flower on the other branch. So six branches going out of the lamp sent. And on the lamp sent itself were four cups with almond-like blossoms with their calyxes, and flowers. It's made a tree in the presence or in the throne room of God. The tabernacle is God's dwelling place or his footstool on earth. Okay? And here we have a tree that gives light, in this analogy, it gives light to the space. Okay? The tabernacle is not open at top. Okay, it's closed because it doesn't want to rain in there. It's the source of light in the holy place. Not the holy of holies, but in the holy place. And light is life. Okay, everybody tracking? Who's falling asleep? <laughs> Nobody yet? Good. All right. And it keeps going on describing this whole thing, right? How beautiful it is, how intricate it is. Um, and it has seven lamps on its tongues, and it says they were pure gold, right? So it's taking this form of a tree, okay? Now, next place we come is in First Kings, uh, when Solomon has built the temple, 
fourth temple. Okay? There's been how many temples? <laughs> yeah, this is a tricky question. There's been two temples, the Solomon Temple and then uh, uh, not Ezra, but uh, the Exile Temple, and then it was refurbished by Herod, but it's the same temple. Okay. There will be four temples altogether. So there's a third temple to be still built, and then there'll be an et- uh, the new heaven and earth will be a temple. So four temples altogether. Okay. There's been how many? Two. So one to come for the Antichrist to defile. Okay. And then an eternal new heaven and new earth one where God dwells. Okay. Does that make sense? Kind of? Okay. So the inner sanctuary was made of two cherubim, okay, of olive wood, each 10 cubits high, five cubits was the length. The cherubim keeps describing these cherubim, how big they are, they're huge, okay? Um, also, the cherub, the other cherub measured 10 cubits, 10, that's 18 inches, so 180 inches. So that's pretty big, okay? The height of one cube uh, keeps going on the description, right? They're like overarching like this over the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant, if we had read, but I don't have time, but the Ark of the Covenant has two cherubs, and it's not little things with both. It's impressive throne guardians, okay? Um, and he overlaid the cherubim with gold, so they're really shiny and pretty, right? And look. Uh, on all the walls of the house, he engraved figures of cherubim and palm trees and open flowers in the inner and outer rooms. So why did I use a palm tree? Because that's what Solomon put all over the temple to represent a paradise, to represent the tree of life. Okay? So now it's making sense if the tab, if it's in the Garden of Eden, then it's in the tabernacle, uh, which is a shadow of things to come, right? Right, and then it's in the the temple, which is a sh- uh, uh, an explosion, if you would, of the tabernacle, right? Right, you're seeing the trend here. This is why John pulls it in and says you'll get to eat of the tree of life, right? Yeah, it's even on the doors. It's like all through the temple, okay? So the tree of life imagery in the temple and tabo- in the tabernacle and temple represents a life that comes from God, and that's why they're doing that, okay? And in a sense, they're trying to recreate Eden, the paradise of God. That's the point, okay? And that's why they have this really special spot where only one guy can go because that's God's presence, you see, right? And, you know, if you go back to Eden, God's presence was in Eden. It's where he's ruling. It's where he's reigning, right? And Adam and Eve had free access to God, right? And, And the beauty is, is who gives us free access to God again? Jesus. 
we can come boldly before the throne of grace to receive mercy and grace to help in our time of need, right? So it's just a beautiful, beautiful uh, picture and a reminder. Okay, so then I'm not going to go through all these references. They're on your sheet. If you got one, um, they're they're here. Um, But the tree of life in Proverbs is spoken as a source of life. Wisdom is a tree of life. Righteous fruit is a tree of life. Hope fulfilled is a tree of life. A gentle tongue is a tree of life. Okay? And if you want to look those up and read them, uh, you can. But I, I'm just for the sake of time, not going to go uh, through those. Okay? Okay. We're tracking pretty good here, but I just, how are we, uh, yeah, good. Oh, um, yep. Okay. So we're we're now in Isaiah fifty one. Okay. He's talking to Israel. Uh, he's talking about fulfillment. Um. And he says, listen to me. So this is God. You who pursue righteousness. Oh, no, sorry. It's not God. It's Isaiah. You who seek the Lord, look to the rock from which you were hewn and the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who bore you. For he was but one when I called him, that I might bless him and multiply him. Now, we are sons of? Abraham, by <laughs> good answer, <laughs> by faith, right? So, by faith, Abraham's uh, faith, uh, justice, or his, he believed by faith, right? We believe by faith. So, that's our tie, right? Uh, Israel's tie to Abraham is, it's just right there in the text. Sarah, who bore them, they're ethnic Jews, right? They were all they all came from Abraham and Sarah. Had you see what I mean? The the line follows them, right? I have no tie to genetically to Abraham. That's a, that's a tiny yeah. Okay, yeah. Sure, it is because we all go back to Noah, but but it's pretty small. I could not identify as an ethnic Jew by any means, right? I'm a Gentile through and through, okay? For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden. Her deserts, and this is why it's there, the garden of the Lord. The paradise of God, or the paradise of the Lord, okay? Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and a voice of song, okay? So some of these we're going to debate, is this the thousand-year reign of Christ, or is this the end eternal state? And I'll tell you, it's hard to parse that sometimes, and you're going to find people all over the place on that. And sometimes it's like, yeah, it's alluding to both. And and that's okay, 
all right? Yeah, blooming now, and there are some commentators who would would take that, and the desert has blossomed, and but the paradise of God, I think, is really specific to the rule and reign of God, and I would say that context does not necessarily play to Israel now, right? Okay, and then uh, Isaiah sixty-five seventeen through twenty-five. This sounds really familiar because you've read it in Revelation. If you read through Revelation, you've read this, right? This is Revelation 21, 1, right? For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind, right? That's in Isaiah. It's not a new idea that uh, God is spinning up, you see, okay? Now we're going to keep reading. So, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy. Think of Revelation 21. And after he says that, what comes down out of heaven? The new Jerusalem. Okay. Uh, To be joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall it shall be... No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the crying of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives for but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. This has happened to them a lot. Does that make sense? They build up and they get prosperous and disobedient and God spanks them and they lose it all, right? And then people come in and take their stuff, right? Okay, for like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. Pay attention, we're going to revisit that. Remember, we're reading the Masoretic text here, so there is a Septuagint uh, saying here that's going to be interesting, okay? It's going to be a little different. It's going to have the wording of tree of life in it, but we'll get there. And my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. Now, what are we doing on the t- with the tree of life? You're eating it, right? Well, later on, we're going to see, we're going to get uh, leaves, healing, uh, whole health from the leaves, Okay. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, they, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. That's pretty cool, right? The wolf, you ever hear this phrase, right? We always talk about this. This is where it comes from. It's not in Revelation. It's right here, okay? The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like an ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. And this is why you said, don't get to eat meat in heaven. They shall not hunt or destroy in all my holy mountain, right? Says the Lord, or says Yahweh, okay? All right. Everybody tracking? Okay. Yeah, because they can see my legs are stretched apart. So. The Septuagint in Isaiah 65, 22 reads this. They, shall show, they will surely not build and others inhabit. They will surely not plant and others eat. For the days of my people will be like the days 
have the tree of life. For deeds, for the deeds of their label will not grow old. Like the days of the tree of life, meaning it's going to be forever, right? Or, e- or even like it's going to be like it was in, in Eden, in the garden. I, I will get to that. I'm going to save that. Uh, part of that is the way the translators are translating that. So we'll get to that. I hope. So, Revelation 22.2. And we're, yeah, we are getting to that right now, actually. Through the middle of the street of the New Jerusalem, okay, who came down out of heaven, who has uh, 12 foundation stones and 12 gates, uh, 12 foundations, those are the 12 tribes, 12 gates are the 12 apostles. So it's a blending, uh, a mixture of both Jews and Gentiles, the church, okay, all right, it's important. They're still distinct, but they're both in heaven, or the new heaven and new earth, okay? All right, so on either side of the side of the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit. Now, this is a little elaboration. We've never heard this. I mean, we, we will hear this. It's in, it's in a passage. It, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding fruit each month. Okay, so it's a lot of fruit. It's heavy bearing, right? The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And now you will get your answer answered. But to answer this, we have to actually go back to the Old Testament. Don't even have to go really to the Septuagint this time. They're not that different, so that's good. Uh, Makes it a little easier. But we're going to go to Ezekiel, and it's actually 47, 1 through 12, but for the sake of brevity and time, I'm just going to focus on 12. Um, But I would encourage you to read 1 through 12 uh, if you have the the opportunity. Um, So uh, it's talking about, in my opinion, the first temple. How many temples have there been? Two. One, and there's two more to come, okay? There's the temple that will be defiled by the Antichrist, and then there's the eternal temple. This, in my opinion, in Ezekiel 47, is speaking of the last temple, the eternal temple. It's huge, by the way. Okay, if you look at Ezekiel 47 and read the measurements, it's like, it's big, yeah. Okay, so on the banks of this river that's flowing out from the temple, okay? Sounds like imagery back in Revelation 22, okay? Uh, on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees, so it's a little twist, okay? For food, their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fill, but they will fi- bear fresh fruit. How many months are there? Twelve, and how many types of fruit does the tree of life bear? Yeah, okay, so it's really just rewarding imagery of the tree of life, okay? Because the water for them flows from the sanctuary, from the temple. Their fruit will be for food. What do we do to the, what's the promise? He who conquers shall, what? Eat of the tree of life, right? And their leaves for healing, okay? So this is where John gets it. 
of leaves for healing. This is where it comes from. Now, who is Ezekiel talking to? Is he talking to Gentiles? No, he's talking to Jews. This promise is given to Jews, right? And, and in ways, it's going to be fulfilled to Jews. But as we are grafted in, we share, right, in the promises with the Jewish people. And what are we? Yes, we are Gentiles. So this is the tree of life in Ezekiel's temple, which in my opinion is the fourth temple. Okay? Fourth temple. And there's the reasons I say that is because of the distinction, the, the tie into the tree of life, the, the paradise language. Okay? And John borrows heavily from that in both Revelation 21 and in Revelation 22, but especially Revelation 22. Okay? So what is meant by healing? This is a good question, and it's, it's not, there's not actually a lot of writing on this, and I started just poking around. Uh, healing, we would describe that word as a noun or a verb. Both, but I think a lot of times, at least I think of it as a verb. Why do the nations need healing if we're in the eternal state? So then I'm thinking of it as a verb. They're getting healed, right? Well, in the Greek, the word is actually a noun, okay? Okay, so the idea here is the leaves of the tree will bring whole health. So it's not, an, it's not an ongoing, it's the presence of God, and remember because the tree is the presence of God, the, the life-giving force of God. The life-giving force of God brings whole health to all who encounter it. But in Ezekiel it says for, for healing, and in the context it's who? It's Jews. John goes a step forward, and in John 22, 4, he adds what one word. What does he add? Nations. Okay? Now, it's interesting, because I looked at nations in Revelations, and, uh, Revelation, and it's used two ways. It's used to refer to the nations, Right? And it's used to refer to the church. Now, I always probably by default in my mind thought of that word as the nations. And that always really confused me. Because how are the nations who <laughs> rebelled against God, who he's been spending <laughs> in 10 chapters beating the snot out of them, right? How are they in <laughs> judging them? How are they in there, right? Well, they're in there because the church makes up the nations. So who are the nations in this world? It's us. It's church. So Gentiles, believers, 
it's not Gentile unbelievers. It's Gentile believers who have full help in the presence of God. The tree brings the presence of God. It brings the leaves, if you would, and leaves are used for salves and stuff. But the idea is that tree is food, it's nourishment, but it also brings full help. Holistic help to the church. Okay? Now, Dr. Heiser, Michael Heiser, if you want to listen to his podcast, uh, it'd be great, Naked Bible Podcast. He says, this is Ezekiel. He's writing to the captives of Judah. It is Israel-centric. It's Jew-centered, if you will. But when John uses it in Revelation 21, or 22 as well, guess what? It's not. John cites it and adds the phrase, the nations. The healing of the nations. Again, he's just taking another Jewish prophecy and applying it to the whole church. Okay? It's healing for the church. The church, and it's not even healing, it's, it's holistic help for the church. Okay? Because the church has seen him and it's like him and is healed. It is healthy. Does that make sense? All right. Revelation 22, 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes so they may have the right to the tree of life that they may enter the city by its gates. Okay, so this one is, uh, the, where does this washing of their robes and this idea, it is maintaining faithful loyalty to Jesus. Right? Just think of uh, <laughs> Peter, right? And Jesus is going around washing feet. Right? And Peter's like, I, I don't wash me. Come on. And then Jesus like, if I don't wash you, you don't have any part of me. And then he's like, give me a bath. <laughs> right? <laughs> he's like, you've already had a bath. All you need is your feet washed. Right? This is that imagery of staying in with the blood of Christ. Staying in relationship with God. If you stay in relationship with Jesus, tight with him, he's washed you from all sin. He gives you access to the right of the tree of life, right to the, to the presence and, and the life of God. Okay? And that then they may enter well, the city's gates, the new Jerusalem. They get to come in, right? And it's not that you can't, I mean, all, everybody's saved. Does that make sense? But it's just this analogy of staying faithful loyal. says, if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. So, yeah, that's a pretty stern warning, right? This book is talking about revelation. I mean, this revelation is what is specifically cited here, right? 
But we should always take all of God's word as seriously as possible, right? So, but yeah, this is specifically the book, this book. So intentionally twisting it, not a good idea. Which if you're intentionally twisting this book, then your heart is not at all in the right place, right? No, that's not what it's meaning, (laughs) right? But sometimes one letter, right? All heresies are based off that. Okay, so the tree of life is a tree that represents immortality, divine presence, wisdom, and righteousness as a path of life. And it has an eschological promise. Oh, boy, big word there. Eschological means in time, okay? An end-of-the-time promise, meaning we will get to share in the tree of life, which is the life-giving presence of God. I know. Fruit, 12 different kinds. I I got one for every month. (laughs) And I get to... All right. So some people try to take the tree of life in Revelation and reference it to the cross. Um, It doesn't, it's not fully, uh, it's not a one-to-one comparison. But the tree of life should remind us of the cross because the tree of life reminds us of the redemptive effect of that cursed tree. The cross reverses the curse. Jesus, right, became a curse for us. So we do not, are no longer cursed, right? And that's in Galatians 3, 13 through 14. So the redemptive effect of the cross reminds us. The cross gives us access presence of God, which is access to the tree of life, right? What's that? Right, without the cross and the resurrection, we're going to get there. (laughs) All right, so just a few more things. So scripture depicts the Garden of Eden as God's sanctuary and cosmic dwelling. At the beginning of scripture, and then at the end of scripture, it's the same. Does that make sense? Full circle. He placed humanity within the garden to serve and protect it and to represent him in the physical universe. Again, full circle. We're in the garden of uh, the paradise of God. We're in the new Jerusalem. We're ruling and reigning with him, okay? We're ruling each other, by the way. Think about that. In the new heaven and new earth, we're ruling each other. Because we're the only humans on the planet. And we're ruling angels. And we can go spew on that one for a while. That's creepy. So in Revelation, we see God fully establishing his sanctuary and cosmic dwelling place on earth. That's what we see. The new heaven and the new earth. Okay? His fully registering his cosmic dwelling, his sanctuary. So those who conquer through the love of Christ, right, the love of Jesus, 
share in that faith, in that, we could say, paradise. All right, that'll bring us back full circle, which includes the tree of life for food and whole health or healing. Okay, so let's conquer in Christ's way. There you go. Right at almost an hour. Any questions, thoughts, comments? Confusions? There's no dumb questions. I may not have answers. <laughs> preach, preach, preach. All I know is my air conditioning. Thank God for my air conditioning. Heather, did I answer what healing leaves are? Your, your, it's not healing. It's whole health. You're, you're holy. You're whole. There's nothing part of you missing. No, it's okay. Go ahead. The okay, so it's symbolizing the that that God is the source of all life, right? Does that make sense? So you got to think of it as So you got to think of it, it is literally, there is a tree, and it has leaves, and it has fruits, and you can eat the fruit all the time, right? But you also have to realize the leaves are a symbol for God's wholeness and the wholeness that he's brought to you. It's not like you go out and mess up, and then you got to go get a leaf and rub it on your face. I mean, it's, it's I know, I mean... Like in our natural physical world right now, that's how it would work, right? That's not how it works there. It's a symbol of all wholeness. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just to, uh, this is also like, you know, the church is in Ephesus, right? Okay. Well, Ephesus is the goddess, uh, has, has the goddess of uh, uh, Artemis, who has a huge sacred garden with a huge, big, huge sacred tree that they say brings life in the middle of the garden. Okay, so this is also an argument that Jesus is making for the people of Ephesus saying the paradise of God and the tree of life is better than Artemis's sacred grove. Does that I mean, I think, where do we find life, right? So, or where do we look for life? And that would be the, s the different symbolisms that they draw from, right? Um, I would say that, like, trying to dis the post-millennial thousand-year reign stuff and the end time and the eternal state is difficult. 
yes, the Jewish nation, yeah. And the but but there's overlap in like different things, like like part of like that Isaiah uh, 65 passage. Uh, uh, a lot of dispensationalists would call out parts of that to be millennial kingdom fulfillment, especially the language about people dying but living a long time. Does that make sense? You know what I mean? Okay. Any other questions, comments, thoughts? Sorry, it's not totally satisfactory, Ron. I'm trying. <laughs> oh, yeah. So if we do contemporize Thanatos, it's Thanos. Thanos, yeah. Yeah, he kills it. One thought of everything, right? So. They're borrowing from Greek mythology, so that's where they get that. Marvel is, yeah. And in it's actually interesting because in Greek mythology, uh, Thanos, uh, Thanatos' father is Kronos, but in Marvel, Kronos is his grandfather. So, anyway, you're a big time scorer. Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> You're trying to be the fun uncle, huh? Right. 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 Very good. Right. So Diana posted on Faith Life her uh, nephew Sam, uh, who finally got the biopsy, uh, has an appointment on uh, tomorrow morning to talk with the specialist. So they're asking uh, for prayer. But whatever the results are, you know.
That stuff's addictive. It's hard to quit. Yeah, last, yeah. Good. I'm glad the shot helped. Yeah, you still have, like, it probably gets aggravated, yeah. It does something that. Good. Praise the Lord. Yeah, we're going to pray for Franklin. Uh, Franklin, his mind just continues to slip. Um, he got upset the other day and tried to drive to Moody's. Got reported missing. Was gone for three hours. Lynn was a wreck. I can understand. So, yeah, Franklin needs prayer. He's doing well. Did not make it to church on Sunday because the night before is when Franklin was gone for three hours. Franklin came to church. <laughs> uh, and she's like, don't say anything to Franklin unless he tells you. <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> Not anymore. Oh, okay. Well, well, she has some. She she's asking for prayer for her bladder, so she's still having some issues there. So we need to continue to pray for that. And I, I the drugs they give you in the hospital too don't help with the bladder stuff either. So. God knows what kind of infection it is. Let's let's not turn attend to it. All right, so travel more mercies for the Betners. You're traveling to Welsh. Sound excited. <laughs> yeah. Well, your earplugs. You don't have any hearing left? Is that what you're trying to tell me? <laughs> it's loud, so. Amen. Mm -hmm. Kind of like an, an alignment. That might be part of it too. Yeah. Well, well, let's just let's chalk it up to the Bible. Okay. <laughs> Good. 
tears of my eyes all the time reading the Bible, but I'm a big crybaby, so. <laughs> all right. Shell. Yes. Letting God pray for rain. We won't let God pray for rain all the time. So. <laughs> I'm pretty sure John's been praying for rain. <laughs> I know, it's dying. <laughs> Rain. <laughs> okay. Anything else? Yeah, praise the Lord, God. Fixed your washer. I don't know how either. You said they had some really weird uh, symptoms, though. All right. Yeah. Amen. He's like, okay, I'm going to zap those electronics that are going haywire and realign them. Maybe, yeah. Praise the Lord. All right. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, okay?